Greetings, nerds. This is Cena Nerd. I'm your host, Sarah Belmont, and with me as always is our Mr. Producer, Will Paul. How are you doing today, Will? Doing very well, Sarah. Uh, how, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm just wondering why, like, this weekend or this past week, everybody is spiraling out of control on Twitter about little fandoms and and casting news. And it's like, guys, we have... San Diego Comic Con right around the corner. Yeah. Literally, we have good. It's like Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> we're, Christmas we're in right July. there. Yeah. Just, just take it down a notch. Like all of your questions will be answered, or some of them, and then you'll be teased with more. But still, come on. It's, yeah. it's this time of year when we're able to get so excited. I mean, literally, Marvel's going to drop their next slate of films. Right. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, well, people want more. People want more. Well, it's interesting that you say that. It's, I think it's you know we you go through a season and it's it's really no off season. It's sort of like the NBA and free agency now. It's like some of the stuff that happens outside of the you know four corners of the game are are sometimes more interesting. What's happening on the court? And it seems that that's sort of been this week because. Well, one, all the shows are, or at least at the Arrowverse, are returning to Vancouver and starting up their um, production for their respective seasons. And, of course, we have the, the last season of Arrow, which is coming out upon us. And we got casting news this week that Colin Donnell and Josh Segarra are coming back for the final season. And Cat uh, McNamara was uh, promoted to series regular. So, uh, of course, that... Of course, that will get some folks like chirping about, well, we we're seeing all this news. What about Emily Bett? And so, well, as you as you rightly pointed out before we started recording, she's kind of busy in New York right now. Yeah, I mean, and they I think I saw an interview shortly after it was announced that she was leaving where she basically said it's kind of up to the sh- the showrunners if she is going to return in season eight, but that's not a likely possibility because it would have to work with the schedule of the play she's doing. Right. So also- I actually lost all hope after reading that, and I'm like, oh, maybe it, it, there she won't appear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. And also just, I guess, this too, it depends on what the story that they're telling in season eight and, and will it narratively make sense to bring her back? Well, I mean, for me, Arrow ended probably like in season six. We're now introduced or we're now going through what I like to call the Black Star pilot. And and it's just going to keep continuing and continuing. (laughs) (laughs) You liked the last half of the last season, then um, be excited for the next season because that's all we're going to get a little more of that. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, a little bit more of that. Yeah. I mean, we did get a few little teasers this week as far as. Uh, I guess the title for the episode one, I guess Starling City. So there's, you know, there's, there's little nuggets being dropped to get us to, to crisis. Head over to Central City and they're back at work and saw some still photos of the the cast and uh, I guess Killer Frost has a new suit, looks pretty pretty cool. And uh, of course we saw Godspeed. Looks like he is going to be a villain. I don't know if it's going to be one of those deals like the start of season three where we had. Uh, the one reverse flash from Jay's era, just sort of a one-stop pop, and then we won't see it again, or is this going to be season-long? But, you know, we did see that. And then a real thing that definitely got the interwebs ablaze uh, on Thursday or Friday, I guess, was uh, Grant's um, Instagram story. Mm-hmm. And uh, how he had posted a, a uh, I guess, a story and, and post on his feed, I guess, uh, for coming out in support of uh, LGBTQ rights, and he, you know he's been very vocal in, in that standpoint in the past, and and of course that really set off uh, a lot of the fandom as far as you know why aren't you coming out as strong in support for for Candace, and and it just spiraled on his on his feed and Instagram, and he posted a video basically saying that just to give us some context, I know many fans and fans of color. Uh, feel that, and and we've we've seen it. I mean, anybody who's been on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram sees the kind of postings that that Candace 
gets and the hate that she gets. I mean, she she had the ultimate put down with someone this past week when uh, they were complaining about the uh, CW having all these gay characters and, and whatever. And she had the ultimate clap back. She's like, look, I grew up with white superheroes and I turned out okay. And thank you for watching. So, uh, and that's just one sample of, you know, that's a tame one compared to some of the stuff that she gets. But uh, that being said, it was you know, Grant basically coming out what very strongly saying that our Iris is an African-American actress. She's black. She's beautiful. And she is our Iris and always going to be. And uh, she's very in game. Candace plays her and will continue to play her and I have her back and, and period. So let's put that out there. And where, you know, I think a lot of fans were appreciative of it. I know there's some felt it was too little too late. I know I, uh, we, I put a query on our, our, our Twitter page just to see how fans um, felt about his comments. How do you feel about it? Yeah, how do I feel about it? So I, I, I thought about this, and my personal feelings is I'm glad he said something. Um, I, you know, I think he has been supportive. I mean, I think back, I believe it was maybe San Diego Comic-Con th- before the third or fourth season. I remember he wearing the We Are the Flash hat. Mm-hmm. And and so I think, I th- yeah, I think he's been very supportive in a very low key kind of way. I, but... I feel like the problem is he's not Stephen Amell. I feel like at the end of the day, that's the problem that the fandom is having. Because with the Arrow fandom, Stephen Amell has always been like not only the lead of the show, but really the face of the show. And for whatever reason, Grant Gustin, he he's on par, if not better, of an actor than Stephen Amell. But he also lacks the Grant Gustin charisma off the camera. Like, he's not about that publicity and creating a brand name for himself, Mm -hmm. uh, especially considering some of the choices he's made um, to do. And he's he's a very private person, so he he tends to not post as much. He doesn't have as big as a social media presence. So I I honestly think I understand why people are saying too little too late Mm -hmm. at the same time. I he probably either either he was being supportive, but not in a way that we would recognize as it. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure he was being supportive to Candace like offline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, well, there's a world called offline. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he he doesn't have that presence where he's just going to go out there and for whatever he's, reason he chose now. At the same time, I also think that maybe he's doing some of his own publicity damage control. Yeah. <laughs> Since yeah. there was that vaping video and and there's been a few other actions that people are raising their eyebrows at. So, I just I feel like for whatever reason, because these shows are so similar and we 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 admit to this all the time. I mean, often when we talk about one, we compare it to the other. Well, I feel like in a way the fandoms are doing the same thing where it's like if Emily Bett gets disrespected or somebody else gets dis- I forget who who originated that one post about feeling like the the sets were unsafe and Stephen Amell was all over that. And so was Grant to a degree. But it's yeah, it's like apples and oranges between it those is. two. Yeah, it is. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is. Because I thought back and just doing prep for the show, I did look at the incident with uh, Andrew Kreisberg uh, with the sexual harassment. Um, right. And, and you made and your your point is exactly there in that. You know, Steven and some of the other male actors on the show were very, very quick to jump and say, this is wrong, we unacceptable, we don't accept it. And Grant finally did post, but it was, a, you know, I think a day or a few days after the initial story, story broke. And so I think you do have a point there that he is not as, he is a very private person um, and he's, you know, admitted to as much and, uh I think it's, it is personality that he is very, very low key compared to, say, Stephen, who is 
very outspoken, and sometimes that does get Steven in trouble. I mean, just look yeah. at uh, his comments with uh, Beyonce and Coachella. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, but at the same time, uh, he is also very quick to stand up for castmates, and you know, and and as, as some of the other actors too. I mean, even McCat Brooks from Supergirl was very vocal and standing up for Candace uh, and and social media before. Uh, so, I think you are. I think you do have a good point that Grant is probably a little more reticent to uh, sort of stick his stick out there. But, but I think he did feel that for whatever reason, this was the time to, to finally stand up to it because maybe he did just finally got fed up with the stuff on his feed and um, just said, okay, once and for all, I'm going to put this out there. I, and even, you know, and even in the videos himself, he's like, maybe I haven't been as active and, and as loud as I should have been in the past, but I'm going to make it clear once and for all. And or maybe or maybe that like big comment that everybody saw that she had to deal with and she d- dealt with it very well it sparked in him like you know what I'm going to say something now because this this goes beyond just a casting decision mm-hmm. and more in terms of like the overall Arrowverse that they've built and being criticized so maybe he felt like a need to speak up just like in general and a reminder that at the end of the day Candace is in that position as Iris West and that's a very big part of the show and she is African American so you know what if you want something else watch something else yeah yeah I, I think that's that, that definitely the case and and yeah so I guess again my personal feelings is I'm glad he said it um, maybe he should have said something sooner, but I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be like too little too late and be mad that he did. I mean, I'm glad he stood up for his castmate and, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I hope he is going forward, very vocal when this kind of crap does pop up on social media and, um, just say, look, we're, we're a family, we're a team and I have my castmates back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we're back into discussing our regular TV shows, and we are going to cover Swamp Thing and Krypton. How about let's start with Swamp Thing? Yes, we can start with Swampy. Swampy, Swampy, Swampy. Um, <laughs> I, I like. There's a few things I could start with this. Um, it was it was a good episode. I mean, we yeah. I think we called it in the pilot that Alec eventually will be back and mm-hmm. that was this episode where finally yep. alec and abby are able to connect mm-hmm. um with him in his human form i'm still very confused as to uh why his voice changes when he becomes <laughs> swamp thing um i i question if the actor is actually dressed up in that suit or if it's a different actor entirely and then that's a bit confusing i just i don't think it's necessary for his voice to change just saying yeah it is a different actor so derek mears plays uh, who's does a lot of monster work plays the uh plays alec when he's in costume Mm mm-hmm well, we'll see. You know more than I, I knew it was somebody different because I'm just like, I'm not. There's something about this. It's it's very weird because this isn't our first time covering a show where one of the characters was like wearing a complete was um, visually different because Brandon Frazier, like we we speculated, is he in that suit? Because what whatever robot man. Um, on Doom Patrol, when he was moving around, you're just like, that's like how Brendan Fraser would do it. So yeah. it's just, it's interesting to me. But then again, inconsistency in DC, what are you going to do? No, nah, nah, it's <laughs> just, you have, you, well, you have the, well, you know, we see this all the time where you have someone, I mean, Darth Vader, I mean, you know, had David Prose in, in the suit and James Earl Jones doing the voice. So, I mean, there's precedent there. Meanwhile, they can't even be consistent about whether to use CGI flowers or real flowers uh, because there's a whole sequence in this episode where he shows Abby the green, quote unquote, which is the good part of the swamp and where life grows and there's and actually it's beauty. And and they're they're walking through the swamp and, and I just love it because in the background like a little flower blooms right away and it's totally CGI. 
<laughs> it, it was like they went into the computer and just through like word or or art i forget what what the uh program is called but they just sketched on a flower and had it bloom like it was yeah. it was really bad and really distracting for me and then i was questioning him like well why did that flower have to be cgi when clearly everything else is just fake fake flowers that they threw on the set yeah yeah i you know i just until you brought that up i, I really didn't notice it i i i, uh, I guess i was really yeah, I wasn't quibbling with it. If, actually, if anything, I was when I was watching that scene as they were walking through the swamp and it was all bright. Was it's just nice to uh, have some some light in this series for a change because True. it's usually so it's so dark. So I, I really didn't. Uh, it, it was it was it was. I, I did think I was like, wow, this is a nice practical effect and nice uh, nice change of pace for for where we've been. But uh, I want to go backtrack a little bit to to the uh when we first started with the uh swamp thing itself as far as alec and and abby and and the the i guess the hallucinogenic properties that of the uh cgi flower Mm -hmm. (laughs) that gave her uh allowed her to see him uh in human form and i I just want to get your thoughts on whether or not two things the first is when we first talked about this show in the pilot with the the relationship uh one did do you feel that by him going back to human form undermines some of the depth that they have built with the relationship as as alex been and been swamp thing and then um the second thing is do you think we'll see it again uh so I was actually, for some reason, I figured that we were going to talk about this because you and I, we haven't been the nicest people in terms of the romance on the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is this going to um, I actually, like, to your point about how seeing the, the flowers in the swamp was a breath of fresh air, I think seeing Alec in human form was a breath of fresh air that this show needed, this season needed. And also in terms of their relationship, I didn't find that it undermined anything with Abby's dynamic with Swamp Thing. It actually really supported everything that they had built thus far because they had done enough where clearly there's an attraction or a pull. I, I'm gonna, I'll say a pull between these two characters. And she's a scientist just like he is and she wants to understand and but now he just like how her her watching everything occurring come out of the swamp and trying to fix everything she's still stuck on that like scientific part while he he he's been question he also was previously a scientist now that he's become swamp thing he's like well what is this who am i where's my humanity or or will i lose myself and so them those are like two parts of the puzzle that i think through this episode really connected for me because you you understood more like there's a lot of different layers to this dynamic. It's not just a, an attraction that was once was or a lost lover. It's more about people finding connection through wanting to heal one another mm-hmm. and and science and beauty and the difference between um, cosmic and or between science and faith and belief. So I think there's a lot of different elements. Yeah. 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 See, I, 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 I'm glad you, you thought that because I, for at first and brought those, those things up because for me, it felt like, you know, because of some of the feelings I had where I didn't feel like the relationship had deepened to the point where she would feel this way about him, but we've had, to, to up to this point they're growing in their relationship whatever it's you know through science through love through just hope or whatever so whenever he saw her whenever she he he basically 
made it so that she could see him in human form again. At first, I, I was kind of like, you know, given that this is kind of that Beauty and Beast kind of feel to their to their relationship, mm-hmm. I was I was at first kind of I did feel like, well, wait a minute, shouldn't she love him and whatever whatever form he he comes in? And so when I asked the question, it did I think like it undermined their their relationship or whatever? I guess I felt it was, I guess it was this quote unquote traditional notions of beauty that was sort of getting thrust into this, into this story. And so, you know, I don't know if it was because, and maybe it's because Alec, maybe it's Alec's way of how he feels grotesque. And, you know, maybe it is, Abby does see beyond what he looks like and maybe it's Alex feeling that he he's the grotesque monster and maybe that's why he felt he needed to do that well yeah absolutely because his whole thing for up until this episode was I don't know who I am now and so he's struggling with how how do I become Alec again because now I'm this other thing I'm this creature I am a monster and I want to keep her out of here and there's danger where I have to be now Mm -hmm. so and to go back to your point about her having to love him in any form I think actually I'm going to take back what I said in the pilot and how they set this up incorrectly because they having these two it's it's not that there was a romance gone wrong but between these two before they literally met in the pilot episode there there was a connection because they were dealing with this this disease that was plaguing the city and for whatever reason there was a little attraction and then she's had to she's changed now because she's always viewed him as a patient mm-hmm. so I, I i know that there is probably something um psychologically um that occurs like when a doctor treats a patient and there's like some form of attraction so it, it's weird i'm rambling um, uh, I have a lot of different thoughts, and none of them make uh, coherent sense at the moment. I apologize. Oh no! I mean, it's. I mean, this. This. I, mean, I think this is why the show has really, really connected with folks in that the very things that we're discussing, as far as their relationship, and you know how Alex sees himself, and you know as this grotesque monster. Abby, I think to your point, where you were just saying, you know, she first saw him as a patient, but also. I mean, there was an attraction there, and I think uh, she, you know, to my, what I was thinking of earlier, I think is Alec who, you know, basically did that. So he's feeling like a monster, so he he wants to her to see him in this quote unquote you know normal light. But I think Abby has has grown to appreciate Alec in in whatever form he's in. Mm-hmm. To your to your point, and, and as far as why. That you know, looking back, it's good that they set it up the way that they did in in the palette because it did allow her to get to know him because he's still Alec, even though he looks like Swamp Thing. I mean, he's still at his core Alec Holland, and so she got to know him at a different level, and so I think it it does deepen their their connection here. And and to your point about him wanting her to be out of danger, I mean that that you know that pretty much is one of those things that was it has gone through this season and, and in particular this episode and how this episode ended. Right. I I do think that this show would not be as good if Crystal Reed was not pulling off her acting as well. Like she's doing a really good job. She really is holding it all together. I'll be honest, I find her her story arcs, especially when they're inter- interact, she's interacting with Alec or Swamp Thing, are, are the best parts of the episodes. Learning more yeah. about Abby and that mm-hmm. character. Because, and that makes sense. And another really strength of the season is one of my favorite characters, um, Dr. Woodrow. We have a confirmation, it is Alzheimer's, that his wife is experiencing and going through. Yeah. So we did get confirmation that his wife is having Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Essentially, her memory and her mind is rotting away, pun intended. 
<laughs> so it's it's actually a really interesting parallel because on one hand you have Alec and Abby who are it's a new romance, it's a new relationship. Um, yet it has this big barrier of swamp thing and the swamp and what's going on with the swamp and the darkness. Mm-hmm. And then you have this other relationship, which from day one, we were introduced to these two people, both scientists, loving, good relationship. They stand up for one another. They believe in one another. And yet she is slowly becoming a different person because of her illness mm-hmm. and he, I mean, all signs are pointing towards what's going to happen with that dynamic, considering how much he wants to preserve her memory and her love for him. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah that that is one of the more deep relationships in in the show, and uh, and 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 the motivations that, that Doctor Woodrow has, and and wanting to continue to work in the swamp and learning more about it and we and we finally figure out what uh uh danny and Ziering's character's role in this story is which is he's just basically a guinea pig (laughs) yeah yeah and and for many things because in that we had that flashback scene and i can't remember if it was this episode or episode prior i think it was episode prior where he was on set as the stuntman and making the deal with the uh uh quote-unquote producer there who actually probably was someone that Sunderland and uh, had well clearly was someone with Sunderland and the conclave and all these people were uh, working to you know do whatever accelerant they were putting in the swamp and um, and how whatever deal he made to end up you know ended up getting him stuck in this town uh, but then you know his uh, now becoming the sort of test subject for what Dr. Woodrow has uh, developed that he was going to use to save his wife. Or this, not save his wife and really pretty yeah. much kill himself. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, I I mean, it's very interesting how I love both of those relationships. I love how both of those all of those characters are in, integrated into this this show that's really about a small town. Mm-hmm. Here's the other side of it, Will. Yeah. This is this is the um what what do they call the the rot in the swamp? Yeah. Um, old person drama, melodrama, soap <laughs> opera, if you will. Um, man, it just it drove me crazy because essentially what happens is Matt knows about Swamp Thing, knows mm-hmm. that Alec is still alive. Mm-hmm. So him being the good mama's boy that he is tells, yep. of course, yep. who's the sheriff who's been having an affair with Avery. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole of this soap opera and everything. And we're supposed to be shocked at the end of it because um, because they want to take Avery out. And Maria wants her his business and profits and to finally just get rid of him. And then Maria, well, oh, wait, I forgot the best part. Matt is technically Avery's son. <sighs> yep. Yeah, I mean, I love that twist with Lucilla and Maria working together to take out Avery. The whole dynamic there with with them and, and Matt being Avery's son. I mean, God, what type of uh, twist was that? Where I mean, but I could see it because you know what leverage that he had over and you know, and he basically was using that uh, to his advantage. Yeah, Lucille. You you say it's a good twist. I'm just so beyond over it, and I haven't liked Virginia Madsen's character at all throughout the season because I, I feel like she just slows down the episodes. I would agree, but she finally—I think she finally got. Even if she slows things down, I think, and maybe because they had to like quickly rewrite episodes. I think it was about this episode where they got the word that they were going to have—they were that the show was canceled. Which makes sense, because I do believe that that ending, not the twist with Matt, the twist with Matt actually makes a little bit of sense. Is it needed for the season? No. But, you know, it does make sense, and I I understand why they went there, because they were showing us that Avery is unfaithful and is a very duplicitous 
type of person. So, of course, he's going to have affairs. Now, she, now, Virginia Madsen's character, and yes, that's what she will be called throughout <laughs> this entire... <laughs> she felt like a different character. Mm-hmm. Like, it was not the same person who was in any of the previous, and that's why it was so weird to me, because I'm like, yeah. who... Why, and also, like, why do I even care? Because it, there's something off here. So, yeah, that would make sense if the rewriting took place. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, I mean, because you're right. From this episode, this episode, it was definitely a more forceful character. A more, you know, because up to this point, she has been you know, all about Shauna. And, Sha- you know, I don't even think Shauna was mentioned in this episode, was she? And all the you know angst about nope. that loss and everything, and so, and then now she you know it was like a whole new spin where she is like, okay, so Avery doesn't come back to dinner, but you know what? I'm going to like salvage this thing with uh, with the guy from the conclave, and we're going to I'm going to seal the deal so I can get control of this thing. Yeah, uh, Shauna was not mentioned at all. Nobody cares about her anymore. Nobody cares about how she died. So it it just it it felt like everything else in the episode made sense as to why we were going there, and I felt like it was continuing to build off of off of previous episodes, except for that twist at the end with Maria and Lucille. Like yeah. it just. I'm just like, really? Hmm. No wonder it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> very well. Very, very daytime soap too for you. <laughs> it, it just, I feel like, especially Avery. Avery is way too much of a twisting mustache villain for me. And he, Virginia Madsen, is an amazing actress. Yeah. And yet on the show, I don't feel like she's doing a whole lot. Like, I can see the acting, sort of speak. I don't like, feel like she... I can't remember her character's name, so, of course, I don't think she's really has a presence on this show. Right. So, right. and and add on the sheriff, it, it just is a lot melodrama, and it just slows everything else down when, really, I want to... I think Swamp Thing should have more screen time than dealing with all of that BS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I know we've talked before. Swamp, Swamp Thing himself, uh, sort of secondary character in his own show, and yeah, I think you that 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 definitely does make that point. But I guess, I mean, I guess we'll see in the next few episodes how all this conclave and the, I guess, the cell, what what Doctor Woodrow developed and now has funding for, and how that is interrelated to, I guess, the rot in the swamp. Obviously, we'll we'll get uh, we'll get some answers for that. Yeah. All right. Let's shift gears and head over to Krypton. Um, we're talking in season two, episode five, A Better Yesterday. <sighs> this show just yeah. kills me every single time. I, I Okay. This is where I want to start. Because okay. it. I don't know at what point in this episode it struck me. But I feel like what we something we haven't talked about is how interesting this show is because it is technically a superhero genre show mm-hmm. technically that is there really a superhero in the show and if not because it's really should be seg who's the hero but he's not technically a superhero right so what i found what struck me this episode is how this season the writers are very sneakily building this theme of duality and which is very important for a superhero genre show because there's always like that that debate between responsibility power and responsibility mm-hmm. like that duality like being clark Kent and superman like those are two different characters yep. and can you be both at the same time and what that does to you as a person mm-hmm. well it struck me because I mean, we already established Nissa is a clone, so you have Nissa, but then this clone version of her, and there's kind of, and she's going back and forth between being a mom and wanting to resist against General Zod, so she's having to make some compromises. Lyda is brainwashed. Or is she? Again, 
Well, I thought she was. Why isn't she brainwashed? Well, Saad makes the point that many of the things that she did, she did on her own accord. She's brainwashed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Saad, and there's even a line about this, like he is both, he's acting as both, he portrays himself as the savior of Krypton, but he's also the oppressor. And so you have the hero and villain, like, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? And then Seg, like, the the, the guiding light of the show, literally has Brainiac still within him. Yep. Which, like, I, I love it because that's exactly, it's so creative how they got there and they are able to examine duality and in a show where you don't have that stereotypical hero who has those two different lives that you can really play off of, mm-hmm. but they they still manage to bring that to the show. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that, that's probably the best breakdown I've heard about the show. It really is. I mean, and and if I ever if I had to explain, if someone asked me what the show's about, I think you have succinctly captured it right there it is that duality and and even though it's based in the superhero genre for the very reasons you just articulated is why this show works and why it works with so many villains Mm -hmm. like that's another thing that struck me in watching it um specifically this episode is how like seamlessly and i'm talking seamlessly they're able to both give us a good picture of who zod is Mm-hmm. Where he comes from, what he wants, why he is that villain person, and why there is conflict there and really interesting parallels. And then also Brainiac. Yeah. I mean, God. The, yeah. The, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm jumping all the way to the end now. The, the best sequence in this episode is when literally Seg is trying to escape with Jaina and Dev. And Brainiac takes over, and it for a moment he really does have this superpower, and it yep. it just like lit me up so much yeah, because yeah. it felt like a video game. It totally did. It totally did. And and that's another thing I like about this show. It you know it, there's clearly a lot of exposition. I mean, because a, a good a significant portion of this episode was a lot of talking. But then when you like you said when Brainiac took over and you had that moment and said yeah. Uh, it, it was total video game and total, like, if you want superhero, that was your superhero moment. And uh, I, I just, it was, it, it, the looks on Jaina and Dev's faces whenever he was like taking, picking out the Sagittari was just epic. Jaina's eyes sold that whole sequence. Yep. Like, her eyes were so expressive in that. Hats off to the actress. Yeah. But I, it, it just was so funny to me. And, and I mean, we, I think a few episodes ago when they were, when Seg was really facing off with Brainiac, we were talking about how those two characters just talking on screen is very engaging and fascinating to watch. And we got a very similar moment again in this episode. We did. And, and it just, it, 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 it makes me think why, why we've never like, and, or it makes me think why they're able to pull this off on the smaller screen and never on the bigger screen. Mm. I just, I just question like why that is because there are sequences that I, I feel like are reminiscent of things that I've seen actually fail on the big screen be been attempted, but not been as work as coherent. Um, but in this show they do it and not, not just multiple episodes, but specifically in one episode. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah because I was gonna say it's not like uh, like a a, a a movie where it's a self-contained universe for two hours. You only have these moments. I mean, this this was truly a singular event in 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 this episode. I mean, we've seen other things like it building up to it, but to your point, it it, it definitely did it did work, and and, and it worked convincingly. Yeah, that's a good point, how convincing it was. There was a lot of momentum 
Mm-hmm. Um, all the characters were had already been set up to be in certain locations. Mm-hmm. And throughout the episode, you can kind of see where it's leading to. I mean, we see Jaina and Dev build their infiltration, their secret infiltration, um, to try to kill General Zod. And then we see Seg and General Zod square off because they're alone and Leida's um, no longer around. She's off on her mission and then ends up being captured Mm -hmm. and used as bait. And we see Adam and Kem also get captured. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of capturing going on. A lot of capturing, yeah. They're like, like, uh, you know, know, because you have all these very strong like cunning characters with like like jackson and lita and everyone and then you sort of have adam and cam and sort of like you know bill and ted you're just kind of like oh dude what's up you know they just kind of get they just kind of get caught (laughs) yep yep um so so okay and yet for how much i love this show I still have my issues with it, and they're always the same points because there's a line in this episode where I, I think I think it's a line specifically about how Seg doesn't need Zod or Zod doesn't need Seg, and I'm like, um, I'm sorry, wait, what? Does anybody know how time travel works around here? Because yeah, technically, uh, you're not born. Yeah, it, it's. I just figure they're they they they're following the end game rules now at this point with time travel. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and see i'm i meanwhile sitting in the background and i'm just like this, this wake up people you're from the future <laughs> and and light still has to be around to literally yeah. conceive and carry you and say has to be the one to plant that seed so i'm sorry but you do still need your father because he hasn't done his one action okay yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get your point with with that line with Zod. I think the character that that frustrates me the most right now is Val. Oh, the the Cylon. The Cylon. Val yes. the Cylon. Val We've the Cylon. established this while yes, he was Cylon. Yes, we have. <laughs> That's why he frustrates me so much. He's like, I, he's so Pollyanna, like, and so you know, he, you know, where everybody else on the show was thinking, you know, he's supposed to be this brilliant scientist, and yet even like. Kim is like thought three steps ahead about what's happening, and Val here is still stuck in like I guess they always say the L stands stands for hope, and yeah, but you know he's a hopeless he's a hopeful fool at this point because he couldn't see what was happening right in front of him. Oh yeah, it, it, he he's driving me crazy too for a different reason, um, and for a similar reason that I've already mentioned. Um, uh, the scientist doesn't even make the connection that Zod is clearly from the future, it has not yet been conceived. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the plan is to capture Leida. And also, you should he, see, I think it's also annoying because there is a lot of characters on this show that that are very tactful in war games and politics val is completely removed from that yeah he he thinks that he is very suave in politics but he's still a scientist hopeful and all of that and it's kind of like dude stay in your lane yeah (laughs) (laughs) let the adults continue playing (laughs) because clearly you don't want he doesn't want to play he doesn't understand really what's at stake here and his contributions are very minimal in my opinion and so this is why i stand by my already mentioned theory val is evil I don't know if he's a Cylon, but he, he definitely is. Weak. <laughs> just, he definitely needs to just, you know, third season three, you know, Superman's great great grandfather just needs to go to the retirement home because <laughs> he just <laughs> he does back in the Phantom Zone where yeah. he belongs, and he was a lot more useful. Yeah, <laughs> he was more useful as a hologram in season one, definitely <laughs> as a computer <laughs> generator. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just I I'm right there with you about him. I I kind of zone out whenever he's on screen because I'm just like, dude, wake up, face yeah. the reality of the situation. And also, why aren't you studying time travel more to understand? Yes. Nobody's looking into this. Yeah. Isn't that the key to how to defeat Zod? Exactly. In the future. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just have a feeling once they go down that path. They're going to kind of tie it into Adam also being from the future mm-hmm. and how that really screwed everything else up as well. And it wasn't just Zod, but it was Adam too. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? I mean, I'm actually, I'm wondering, Adam, you have the device. You know that Zod has come back and completely changed Kandor and the history. So so are you going to ever go back and now that Brainiac's defeated, go back and see what the future looks like now. Right. Like, is it when? When is that going to happen? Yeah. Well, we still we have five five episodes, so we, we may see that, but or maybe for, further down the line. But you know, all these changes. I mean, we obviously had potentially a game changing moment. Everybody's selling it that way. All the cast members on socials and interviews and stuff are like, you know. This was truly a game-changing moment, what happened at the end of this episode. And so, you know, is it really? Or is it just going to be the in-game rules? Or is it going to just, you know, we're going to find in episode six, she's actually still alive. But to show Jax's, like, resolve, you know, she had to sell this point to, you know, show Zod. Well, maybe she was trying to, you know, she was playing a game of chicken with Zod to try to get him to stand down so that he would look weak. But obviously, he, you know. Now uh, I understand who Jax is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having a problem with remembering ancillary characters' names. Yeah, Forgive well, me. Yeah, that's okay. She's props. Yeah, yeah. The the eyepiece, <laughs> which was a pretty pretty cool moment too, when she like used like used her eye laser to like shoot the take care of the uh them there at that moment it was a it was a great moment because it also detached her from the the weight that is carrying val around yeah yeah it did (laughs) (laughs) more ways than one yeah (laughs) the dead weight weight of val (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so so yeah let's talk about this Lida Lida is apparently dead Killed by Jax um, because Jax realized that she was being played a fool. And unlike Val, she doesn't want to be played a fool. Um, Val is completely comfortable playing that. We're so mean to Val. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to be mean to Val. It's so deserved. <laughs> so so she and a very... Um, in a very shocking moment, there's there's a clear cutting of the throat, i.e. dead. However, I will say, I watched very closely. And that seemed a bit too on the skin. It just, it didn't feel like it went deep enough. Also, we've seen on another comic book show, a character get her throat sliced completely alive. Yeah. She just can't have her canary scream. Right. So I, you know, it wouldn't, here, here's the thing, because this is show is, does have time travel elements mm-hmm. and it is sci-fi. Right. They have two different options. Either it's exactly what we think. Either she is still alive and it was all an act and they're going to have some they're going to do something very early on in the next episode where it's which reminds you like no Lyda is still breathing and we're going to save her or they can do some time travel and have one of those one-off episodes that typical series with time travel has where you you try to fix the thing multiple times mm-hmm. Or um, I'm sorry, was it was it 59 times yeah. on the Flash? Yeah, <laughs> or 59, 50, or was it 50, maybe 52? That'll be like consistent with the comic book. Uh, yeah, New 52. Yeah, but in any event. Yeah. So 
I mean, I mean, they those are really what I foresee as their options. So now that I've declared there's only two options, they're gonna the writers are gonna clearly find a third option and completely <laughs> catch me off guard. Yeah, I see. I I'm hoping that it's actually legit. Like this is truly wow. they truly write this character off because. All right, Zack Snyder. <laughs> uh well yeah yeah no well i think if you want to have a game-changing moment and to basically you know zod had everything like structured out as far as his vision for this new krypton and and it would be what and also i think it also illustrates how blinded by love of Lyda Seg is because he it sort of reinforces that point. I mean, he could have possibly had saved her some point if he had not let her go to Wegthor. Um and, and, and really reinforced uh, when, when Zod was trying to, you know, when, when, Lyda was really pushing to go. Say could have backed up Zod and said, "No, you're right. You need to stay here on Kandor and uh, and let let the rest of the Sagittari deal with the rebels up there." Um, so I think it I think it'll be a motivator for Seg because you know one of the things another good thing about the show is it, it's very there's a lot of shades of gray with all these characters. No one's clearly a hundred percent good. No one's hundred percent evil. And, you know, and, and given where, you know, given where Zod is, you know, will it, you know, further push him down that oppressor role that he, you know, whereas before he was trying to, you know, be all kindly, I have a vision for a bright future for Kandor. I wonder if it's going to push him into that dark future of what we what we typically think of when we think of Zod. Uh, with Seg, maybe it will, you know, it'll motivate him to you know to to to, to really not be blinded by his feelings so much, but <laughs> um, and and see things for how they really are versus then. Because that's one of the things I was, I was touching on earlier with with Saad saying she's not brainwashed. I mean, she this is who she is, and, and maybe Seg was blinded to what who Lyta really is, and maybe this will you know this by this happening he can finally see that. Well, I th- I think it's more about that. I mean, you bring up some excellent points, and I think what you're really getting at is kind of that thing that that dynamic that they set up in the first season. Uh, Light is from the House of Zod, Sagittari, military guild. They are always placing their country above every single other person, including their own family, yeah. including the people that they love. Mm-hmm. And and so Zod wanting to ha- literally have his, or his cake and eat it too in the sense of wanting to win the war but also save his mom. Yeah. Like, he, he can't have both. And yeah. so... So at the end of the day, he's he wants to win the war, and that might be at the sacrifice of Lyda. Seg, coming from the house of Val, no, <laughs> <laughs> coming from the house of L, they are the exact opposite. It is more about family. It is more about hope. It is more about loving each other and, and not having to really um, force people to assimilate or to to behave in a certain way or like the military, they don't violence clearly because Val hates violence. God forbid. (laughs) So, so, so to your point, I I don't think it's more about Seg not letting his emotions control him, but more recognizing that, you know, light is the love of your life, but we're also focused on candor and what happens to, to Candor in a few years and saving all of these other people like is her life really more important than everybody else mm-hmm. and 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 it actually reminds me of something that I think even Adam has said at certain points in this season like 
being a hero, you have to learn how you need to sacrifice those people or those dynamics that you love more than everyone else or more than others because you're supposed to be protecting everyone, not just a select few. Right, right. Very good point. Very good point. So, so I think like, well, they all are just bouncing off of your points because I think like this is a strong case as why it may be interesting to see Lyda die at this point in the series. Now, because also Zod, they made it very clear in this episode, Zod's whole reason to come back is not only to save Kandor, but to re-envision what this place is so his mom doesn't fall down that path and get broken again. Right. That's right. So if she dies, like like suddenly suddenly he might take the guilt of that mm-hmm. and then realize that the only way to fix it is to actually rewrite this kind of parallel universe he's created and to to make it be like he never came back to begin with that's that you know what i think you just solved it because that would that would restore the continuity that we're familiar with Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and also i mean this is a fickle thing because if they go on that route then it's kind of like well then what was the point of season two yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, we, but uh, we had already had concerns about that at the season one finale. Yeah, because we knew they were going to go the parallel universe route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think whatever resolution they have, I think an element of it will include what you just what you just said, which it will rest- will possibly restore the the original continuity that we know that leads to the birth of Kalel. And then the question, you know, then becomes, uh, uh, is Seg, you know, if Lyta, with this other restored continuity, Lyta returns to us, is Seg and is is Jor-El and Zod half-brothers, which would be just a fascinating thing. Uh, but, you know, or um, or is it some, you know, or is, or, or is it another person that we haven't been introduced yet? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, with the way the season's going, I have no doubt that they're going to end it appropriately and have a great setup for season three. And even if this turns out to be a parallel universe season where where it's basically we watched um, something that never happens in the the actual legend or the lineage, it was all worth it because Brainiac... Yeah. It's yep. just creeping around. Yeah. And, yep. <laughs> creeping around. Yes. Yes. And and I mean, at the end of the day, the true love story is not Seg and Lyda again this season. It is between Seg and Brainiac. Brainiac. Yep. Remember that. Always remember that, folks. <laughs> and Lobo and Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So steps to restore the timeline. Zod has to be sent back and never have come forward to begin with. Mm-hmm. Step two, Val ends up in the Phantom Zone, and that's it for us tonight, people. <laughs> 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 Leave you on that note. Uh, Will, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at Will M. Polk. That's W I L L M P O L K. And you can find me at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please follow our crew on Twitter at Scene and Nerd. Friend us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. But most importantly, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. Good night, geek out. You're welcome.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.